Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So the prophet Ezekiel had a difficult task. He was asked to prophesy to God's people in the midst of the Babylonian exile, which meant that the people were fractured and broken. The people were separated. The upper echelons of the political, socioeconomic, and religious classes had been carried away after the siege of Jerusalem and had been taken to Babylon. And there they were being re-educated but kept apart from the rest of the people back in the promised land. And the people felt very disconnected and they felt hopeless because they had lost so much. They were no longer an autonomous nation. They no longer had their own monarchy. They were now a vassal a conquered state of the reigning superpower of their day. And they had lost what was so precious to them. Their holy city, Jerusalem, had been torn down after the siege. They had suffered incredible loss. And then those of Babylon had trampled into their city and destroyed, laid utter waste to their holy temple. And they lost what was their deepest, most profound connection to God through their worship at the temple. And now in this separated state, they yearned to know that they had not been forsaken or forgotten. And so God chooses to send the prophet Ezekiel to them and gives Ezekiel this vision. It's a way of seeing and encountering what God promises God can do. And this is a rather strange vision that God gives to Ezekiel. Takes them out to this valley and there are bones everywhere. It's possible that this had been a battle site and that the people had been left there and that their bodies had decayed and disintegrated until there was nothing left but bone. And looking out at that forsaken place, God says to Ezekiel that I can bring new life to these. Now, we're not talking about the incredible innovations and the abilities of modern medicine and science to bring people back to life after a short time when their heart stops beating or their lungs stop working or even when there's a flux in their brain activity. We are talking about beyond dead. These people are not just dead. They are gone. They are in pieces. And God says, I can rebuild from this. I can bring new life. I can resurrect these people. And Ezekiel must have been thinking, how? How can you take this and make up people? And that's precisely what God shows Ezekiel. I am able, call, prophesy, and I will rebuild them. I will put them back together. I will sew in them new tendons, new muscle. I will cover them with new skin. I will give them new organs and new brains, and they will live once more. And the first part of the vision is just this. He hears the rattling of the bones as they are being reassembled. He watches as they are being rebuilt, but they do not live. And then God says, prophesy again that the breath may come. And in Hebrew, this is ruah. This is the very same breath from God, the spirit from God that goes over the waters of chaos in the first creation story. In the most intimate portrayal in the second creation story, this is what God breathes into the nostrils and the mouth of the first created person. 
that intimate contact that gives life to a form that was created from the dust and the clay of the earth. This is what God is promising once more. I will bring you life. Receive my spirit. And that's precisely what happens. Suddenly, all of these bodies are not just reassembled and refinished, but they are revived. They are resurrected. And this is one of the first occasions in the Old Testament that we see that resurrection is something that God promises is possible. And then they're not done. Now God promises to do one more thing, to take this rebuilt people and bring them back so that now they may rebuild their promised land. Gathering those that have been scattered, those that are suffering in isolation, those that are experiencing the very worst of an exile. God promises to bring them back to their land, the land that was promised through covenant, the land that was promised to their ancestors, the land which just a generation ago they had lived in joyfully. And God says, now is the time. And the power of the word is so strong that it's possible. It's possible to rebuild. And are we not like that now? So many of us have lived in isolation for a solid year. It's incredible to think how long it has been for some of us. And that life has completely shifted. And so you hear a lot now about the new normal. What will that be like now when we come back? And people are struggling with what that is. A lot of people think they want to go back to the way things were. But that is not what God is saying here in the text. God is talking about rebuilding the people to build something new. They are going to go back and they are going to renovate. They're going to rebuild houses that were destroyed. They're going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But they're going to make some changes as well. Some things for the better. Because in the process of their exile, they have transitioned their identity. They went into exile as Israelites. But they will come back Jews. And there, this new people, this reassembled, resurrected, reconnected people will be the people from whom our Lord and Savior Jesus come. And it's a beautiful thing to see how many generations had to lay the foundation so that ultimately Christ could come and bless all the world, not just the descendants of the Israelites or the Jews, but every person would get to hear of God's grace and love for them. Now, so many of us are trying to figure out what that will be like for us. What does it mean to come back? And how do we rebuild? How do we innovate? How do we change things so that we reflect more of what we were always meant to be? It means stopping things that were not helpful or that were even harmful. It means opening ourselves up to the inspiration of God and God's divine wisdom and guidance so that we can be who we are meant to be. But one of the most wonderful things about this passage is that you have to choose the life. You have to choose God's grace. God doesn't force them upon you. Instead, God says, I am offering this to you, and I have created you in my image, which means you can make a choice. Every, every person has been gifted free will, and with that we can choose not just to be in a relationship with God or one another, but we can choose to embrace the grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ and to be forgiven and to be transformed. But this new life that is promised not only in the passage in Ezekiel, but is promised through our faith in Jesus Christ means that we have to accept that life and all that comes with it. The people were not going to be the same as they were. And they came back and they did some things better 
than before. It used to be before the exile that there were three times a year where most people actually got to be in the presence of God in the temple. Three separate high holy days and festivals where they travel down from wherever they li were living in the promised land to that city in the south. And there they would have their worship and then they would go back about their lives waiting for the next time. But when they come back out of exile in Babylon, what they do is build synagogues. They build new houses of learning so that even in the midst of not being on top of the temple, people all over the promised land have the ability to gather together in person so that they can hear the reading of God's word and sing the songs for God's praise and experience what it is to be a community. And that's what we're being challenged to do now is to see, will we accept this life, this new life that God is calling forth? And what is at risk? Certainly we could decide, you know what, I kind of like how things are and I'm going to stay in isolation. Or, you know, I like the way things were and I don't want to consider the possibilities of what may be. But that is to be a backward-looking people. And that never goes very well in Scripture. There are lots and lots of instances where God's people say, you know what, we had it great in Egypt. And God goes, no, you didn't. You did not have it great in Egypt, but I do want you to have it great. I want there to be a wonderful place where you and I can be together and all those who are lost, who are strangers, who are suffering, who are sick, who are hungry or thirsty or naked can find what they need. For I will provide. I will not just provide for you, but I will use you to provide for others. And we have to decide if we want to be that people. There's a lot of talk among clergy across denominations in Christendom, and there's some talk outside of Christendom about whether or not we are in a post-Christian world. Has Christianity seen its apex and its pinnacle and is now atrophying? Well, there are certainly membership numbers to show that that might be true. But I don't believe that Christianity has seen its best days. Has it seen days where more people claim to be a Christian? Has it seen days where more people showed up in a building on Sunday morning? Yes, it certainly has. But I don't believe that the best is behind us. I believe that our brightest days are before us. And that when we choose life, that same life that God offered those dry, desiccated bones in that valley, that we too will get to experience what this new life is. Perhaps this is the opportunity for us to truly embrace what it is to live as disciples of Jesus Christ and to gather together as the body of Christ in new and powerful ways. Perhaps this is the dawning of a new golden age. Or perhaps our golden age has come and we're ready to move on to platinum. We are a people that don't believe that God has placed before us darkness and death. We are a people who are reminded every single Easter, that what is before us is resurrection, reunion, and salvation. And so this is what we are called to live, but not just on Easter. We are called to do this every day of our lives. Every day when we wake up, it is a new opportunity for us to choose life, to choose God's way, to embrace God's grace, and to revel in God's love. Every single day is a new day dawning. And we can live that out. And we can find ways in which we can show other people that truth. There are so many people who think, 
oh, everything from here on out is going to be horrible. And there are certainly things that are happening right now in our culture and around the world that are depressing and that are not inspirational, and they certainly don't feel like they're creating community but causing divide. And so, yes, it's not perfect, but that means that Christians have work to do, that we have to be a people who choose to show others radical love and hospitality. We have to decide to be intentional about being not just a place, but a people to whom those that are lost and suffering and struggling can come and find comfort, strength, and help in their time of need. That's a decision that we make as individual disciples and as the church, the body of Christ. And together with other denominations in the church universal, that is when we begin to show the world that no, we haven't seen our darkest days. Perhaps this has been a time of exile. We have been so separated from one another and we have been so divided that we have felt hopeless. But the prophet Ezekiel reminds us even now that it is never too late for God. There is nothing that God can't do. And there is no one that God can't use. Every one of us is important. Every one of us that chooses life, grace, and love is vital. Because it takes all of those pieces of prism and glass and crystal in order to make the chandelier truly sparkle. It takes all of us, every grain of sand, to make the vast and glorious beach. It takes every star to make the celestial heavens shine in the darkness of the night. So every single one of us is important. Every single one of us is known. And every single one of us is invited to have this new life. It is something that is a part of our liturgy, of our sacrament, for baptism, that people are given new birth by water and the Spirit. And sometimes we tend to only see infants getting baptized, and so it doesn't register just how profound that statement is. John Wesley, one of the founders, uh, one of the principal theologians of what would come to be Methodism, understood that there was a time when we had to choose new life, and that therefore at that moment we were reborn into something new. We were being transformed, and so new things were possible for us, things that we didn't think that we could do before. And some of us have already experienced in this pandemic new things, right? I wasn't trained to be in production, and here I am learning something new. But that doesn't mean that I don't have a heart for being with people or that I don't yearn for the time when we can maybe do both. And that's precisely what our liturgy reminds us of, is that it's not just a new birth for those that have actually been newly born. And here in Crozet, we are so fortunate to have a multitude of those who have been baptized. And just in my experience, we've had preschoolers, we've had children, we've had teenagers, and we've had full-fledged adults. And every one of them has been given new life. But if you were baptized like I was when I was an infant, Here's the beautiful thing. It's never too late. Ezekiel says it is not. You could be on your deathbed and still have new life. You could be at a point where you feel like you have squandered away your youth and your vitality. You could be at a point where you feel like you have ruined relationships and there is nothing left for you and God can still bring new life. And God is waiting, ready to turn it over to you. 
when you are ready to open your arms and your heart and embrace it. What kind of life are you going to choose tomorrow? What kind of life are you going to let be reborn in you in the days and weeks and months and years to come? Are you going to choose to go about the way of the rest of the world or are you going to choose to commit yourself to the life of Jesus Christ? It's an opportunity that we can't squander. It's something that we can't let slip through our fingers. But fortunately, we are a people who are above all, a people of grace. And if today you don't embrace new life, if tomorrow it does not come, it certainly can in the days ahead. It is never too late. And we never forsake one another, for we are a people that have not been forsaken. May that be your choice to embrace these wonderful gifts and to use them for the rest of your life so that others can discover that when they have felt dry and desiccated and beyond all hope, they experience that because of the ways you share that new life with them. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.